the station with more hair, more flair, yet so debonair. Radioinfluence.com You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Oh, good morning, everybody. What's going on? It is Duffified Live. Episode number, ready for this? Ready for this? There should be like a drum roll somewhere. 24. We've done 24 episodes of this crazy show, which I still cannot believe is on air and all the good stuff and the people actually listen to it. So, um, I do hope that everybody enjoyed last week's show. Uh, Linda Lucia or Lucia, who was on with me. I loved talking to her. We had a great, great time. Um, and this week's guest is just going to be, uh, I just love talking to this dude, man. Really like talking to this guy. And I'll get into that in a second, but, um, Right now, we got to do the most important part, not the most important part, but a really, really important part. And that's the part where I talk about Nogginware, nogginware.com. Get over there and check them out. Guys, look, here's the deal. You can buy a hat for 25 bucks. Okay. If you want, you can get on a subscription plan. You can do a three or a six month subscription plan with them. They send you a hat every single month, something that's super fun, something that just is awesome. Um, All their hats are just really cool, man. I mean, they do all my hats for the restaurants. They did one for Flying Fish. They did a couple for Features down in in, uh, Florida. They've done just some really, really cool stuff for me. So I love their product. Um, Free shipping across the board on everything that they do. They're unbelievably creative. They have a whole bunch of different styles of hats. They've got, um, you know, everything from your day-to-day wear ones that you have. Like I have one called Nold Glory that I actually ended up giving to my father that I love, um, which is just kind of a beaten up, tattered kind of trucker cap. Um, nice netting in the back on the front, a nice little American flag. It's navy blue, or it's got a nice little denim that's attached to it. It's really cool. It's a great hat. Um, the pineapple hat was one of my favorites as well. They did another one with the shamrock on it. They did for St. Patrick's Day. They did the duffified hats. Um, they're doing just some really cool stuff. So hop over there, check out nogginware.com. Tell them that I sent you by adding in the code of Chef Bryduff. You're going to receive 10% off of your hat or off of your subscription. If you want to buy one of my hats, go over to nogginware.com. Check them out. We have two styles over there. One is a cross one, kind of like a crossbones, but they're knives. And it says Duff on it. The other one says Duff, F-I-F-I-E-D, Duffified, which is a hat that I love. A little bit of special meaning as well behind it. You guys have heard it before. I'm not going to get into it. Got the hashtag Duffified on the back. And they're super quality hats. I wouldn't get involved with somebody who's just kind of shitty. So nogginware.com, go over, check the boys out. That's what we got. All right. Okay. Now, here's the deal. And we're going to start talking uh, about a couple of things. This is a week um, that I told you guys last week that I was going to have um, some big news for you. So we are going into the world of um, me. We're going to talk about me for a couple of minutes. So everybody knows that for the last eight months, I have, well, really the last year and a half, <clears throat> I've been kind of working on this project with Flying Fish Craft House. And um, we uh, we opened up in December and we had some hiccups. We had a couple of hiccups that really kind of sucked. I had a dickhead um, general manager who went to jail. Uh, was uh, It's just a crazy, funny story. This was a guy who we interviewed and, and I, I adore. I really, really had great feelings about him. Um, the vibe was there. The look was there. The knowledge was there. The professionalism was there. And there was, there was passion behind it. You know, he was very passionate about what he did and he stood his ground on a lot of things that, that we kind of butted heads on in in a professional way, not in a, in a personal way, but in a professional way. So 
for me, uh, I really liked this guy and I trusted him. I worked very closely with him on some of my systems and my, uh, my standards for the way that the restaurant should be run. We agreed on a lot of it. We collaborated on a lot of stuff because <clears throat> it's not a dictatorship. You know, I always talk about the difference between being a leader and being a dictator. And I didn't want this to be a dictatorship. I wanted it to be a leadership role where I was going to work with him and coach him and allow him to kind of move forward doing what he wanted to do. So from that point being said, we had some some hiccups that happened along the way that happened in every restaurant. We hired a guy to do our bars, uh, really liked what he was going to do. And then he turned around and gave us a shitty product. So, <clears throat> you know, we're getting sued for that because the guy didn't get all the money. When you deliver the subpar product, and, and this was a product. This wasn't, this was like a physical product, something that we said we wanted. The delivery was not what we ordered. This wasn't an intellectual property case. This wasn't a, um, what word am I looking for? This, this, this wasn't, you know, hey, I really hoped you would have done this. This was, this is exactly what we're looking for. So he didn't get paid the full amount. He's suing us. The best part about it is that he's suing my partner personally. Uh, for her involvement in this whole thing. Um, and uh, they're attacking her on a personal level at the same time. So it's kind of crazy. And this is public knowledge. This is nothing that, that that is, you know, I'm not allowed to discuss or any of that with an NDA or any of that. This is straightforward. This is public record at this point. There's an article that's been written about it, which really kind of sucks because it portrayed my partner as being somebody that she's really not. Look, she makes a shit ton of money, man. It's the way the world works. She can do with her money, whatever the fuck she wants to do with her money. She happened to be in the South of France while she was replying to his emails. He didn't like that. When the article came out, she was in the South of France again with her family. They were banging it out on a cruise. Everybody was having a good old time. They can afford to do that. Let them do that. I really don't give a shit. doesn't bother me at all. As long as I make my money and you make your money, we're all pretty good people. So we go into the opening. And then the day of the opening of the restaurant, uh, our GM just kind of disappeared. We had no idea where he went. Couldn't find him. Had no idea. He literally was like disappeared. So I texted him. I called him a couple times, no response. Finally, about four o'clock, he replies back, or two o'clock, he replies back. I'm on my way in. I was hanging out with my daughter today before we start getting busy. Cool. No worries, man. I got you covered. Is the staff all set? Yes. Everything's ready to rock and roll. And then it started to, to basically unwind in front of us. Uh, all the trust that was placed in the general manager, he shit the bed. He never put a liquor order in. So we're running around at four o'clock to go get liquor for opening night. Um, never got a bank ready to go. So, you know, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. Banks are closed, man. So we had to pull money out of our pockets to make sure that we had enough money to run the restaurant. That night, I watched what was the unfolding of a general manager in front of me. Uh, we had a cert, we had an issue downstairs at our main bar. And to give you guys an idea, I have a, a, a beer garden, or not the main bar. We had a beer garden in the restaurant that was uh, fit about 90 people. Uh, we had a, a, a bartender who worked down there uh, who at about 7 o'clock, she came upstairs and she was wearing like leggings. And I said, hey, what's going on? Just so you know, like our uniform is jeans. She said, oh, no, I'm all done. I said it was cool if I changed. And I said, okay, well, if you're going to sit at the bar, then make sure you take your T-shirt off. We don't allow you know, uniforms at the bar. We always allow our guests to sit there as opposed to our staff. So if you ever have a restaurant and you have an open, you know, you have a bar and your staff is sitting at the bar, they should never be sitting at the bar. They should always be at a table. They should have a server or something to that effect. Um, never put them at the bar. It takes up room for paying guests, even though your, your, your staff is paying. Our, our guests are more important than our staff in certain cases. In this case, this is a very important, important case. Okay. So they're sitting at the bar. Uh, so I said, just, Hey, make sure you take your t-shirt off. She's like, oh, okay, no problem. So about 20 minutes, a half hour later, I walk out and there on the bar standing behind the bar is the bartender in her leggings and her t-shirt. 
And in front of her is a bottle of Jameson on the corner of the bar with three guys standing at the corner of the bar with shot glasses in front of them, pouring themselves shots. So I walk over to the GM and I have a conversation with him. I said, hey, just so you know, blankety blank, whatever her name is, downstairs at at the beer garden bar, has a bottle of Jameson on the corner of the bar. And she's still behind the bar, even though she said that you cut her. And he said, I never cut her. She never talked to me at all. I said, all right, brother, you got to go handle this then. He walks over and he stands up above the bar on the railing, like on the, on the, the we have, we have like an, a, a, a split level in the restaurant. One of the, the larger main dining room looks over the beer garden. So he goes over and he stands there and he stares at it and just stares at it. Never says anything. So finally I'm fuck this. I walk over and I walk up and I said, Hey, can you do me a favor and take the bottle of, of uh, booze off the end of the bar? And she said, well, said it was okay. He said it was okay. I said, so really you're telling me that said it was all right for you to have a bottle of booze on the bar on opening night. Yeah, he said it was fine. I said, well, you told me he said he clocked you out. Well, no, he wanted me to stay. So it just started to become this lie kind of across the board. Okay. <clears throat> so you got to kind of, uh, I started to kind of dig into the situation a little bit. Um, and I, you know, really wanted to make sure that we weren't lying about anything. And, you know, that, that there was nothing going on that was shady, even though there was a bottle of booze. So I kind of watched, I pulled her off of the bar, the three guys over there. Hey, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. She take, they take off. She comes over to me. I bring our female manager out because anytime that you have a female involved, and if you're a male, you have to have two managers involved in the situation, just in case there's anything that happens or, you know, they can claim groping or whatever it is. So there's two people. And anytime it's a female that you're, you're reprimanding or you're disciplining or whatever, as a male, you need to have a female with you. It's just a way to kind of protect your ass. So I, I know I'm talking about this eight months, nine months later, but I want you guys to hear this story because it's pretty incre- incredible. So she, uh, uh, so I pull her off the bar and I'm looking at her and she's literally like her eyes are totally bugging out. This girl must have been doing bumps for days. She was so fucking high on Coke or whatever it was, heroin, I have absolutely no idea, that she was just, she was fabricating stories in front of me. So at one point I looked over and, and I said, we need you to cash out. So the female manager stands next to her, goes to cash her out. And her, her drawer is $376 short, $376 short on the opening night of the restaurant. Where did the money go? Well, I don't know. These are their credit card slips. I don't know where the credit card slips are. Long story short, we come to find out that she was telling the guests in the beer garden that it was still friends and family, so they didn't have to pay their tabs, but they had to make sure that they tipped the bartenders. So all these people are eating for free, $376 worth of food, booze, going out, and she's never taken that, but she's taking the fucking money. So I said, well, you're stealing from us. Well, I don't steal. I haven't stolen anything. So long story, we bring her out. We bring her downstairs so she can, I can write her up, and I can discipline her, and I can terminate her at that point being under the substance or under the influence at the same time for stealing them because with a bottle of booze, breaking the law, and then, and then actually taking the money out of the register and, and moving forward. So she says, oh, well, I didn't steal anything from you and I'll prove it to you. And I said, okay, well, go ahead and prove it to me. I'm not kidding you. The girl stands in the basement and starts to take her clothes off. And I, I turned around immediately, didn't just, just did not engage her whatsoever. We had a female manager with us and <clears throat> she started to take her clothes off to prove that she didn't steal any money. So you tell me, is this girl fucked up on something or not? And I'm just talking about in the brain. I'm talking about in the drug world. She was messed up. So we go upstairs. At this point, I now start recording the entire thing. So she's flipping out at me as I'm recording this conversation. By the way, the general manager is nowhere to be found. So 
we go through the whole rigmarole of it. I bring her out the back door of the restaurant. I allow her to go down the sideway. She turns around. She punches my phone, blah, blah, blah. Very angry. She calls me a whole bunch of racial slurs as she walks away, tells me that I'm racist at that same exact point, even though she was the one who was just stealing from me. And the color of her skin was never once brought into this conversation. So I go home that night. I wake up the next morning and I get a phone call from my partner letting me know that the sheriff's had broken the door down to our general manager's apartment upstairs above the restaurant where he was hooking up with one of our bartenders and uh, that it was pretty impressive. He had five bench warrants out for his uh, uh, arrest. He had a violation from something and he had a something else. So there was a couple of things that were out there. It's all public record, so I'm not like sharing any any secret information here. That motherfucker goes to jail for 30 days. I left two days after we opened the restaurant because I had another restaurant open. So it kind of set the tone for the whole thing. So we busted our ass. We worked through. My chef was there. My GM, who, who our new GM, who was actually the AGM and the bar manager, who was my buddy's wife, who just did a great job for us for eight months. She was really a very, very good person. Great heart. Worked really hard. Um, but unfortunately, just couldn't 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 really execute the, the standards that we have. So the long story of all of this is the big news that I have is that I sold the restaurant to my back to my partner. So I still have a portion of it and I'm going to keep on to that, but I removed my name and everything else. And the reason why totally positive situation. And, and, you know, but the big thing with this was that I just was unable to be in the restaurant on a daily basis to be able to execute the standards that I have. And with my name being on the restaurant, it was something that was really important to me to hold true to my brand and hold true to what it is that I believed in. And I believe that as an owner, and I've said it before, you have to be present in your business, be there and be present in your business. Because if you're not, your standard, your roadmap, your guidelines for success will never, ever, ever be reached. So if you're owning a restaurant or a bar or something in that case, you've got to be present in the business. You have to let the people see you. Your staff needs to see you. Um, you know, so I, it was something I had to do. I, I, you know, I've I started to get reviews and, and I'm starting to watch that the food quality had gone down. There was a period of time where I was on and off the road for like 16, 17 weeks. And I was in the restaurant, you know, whenever I came home and I was involved in the day to day operations of, you know, features and, and overseeing some of the stuff that was being run out as, as features. By the way, I call specials what most people call specials features because specials are things that you're trying to get rid of. Features are things that you, you want to focus on. You can charge a higher dollar amount for it because you're, you're creating something, okay? And that's the way that that world works. So for me, uh, I, I stood back. I, I, you know, I had to walk in and, and unfortunately I had to fire the GM and the chef. And uh, you know, there was some stuff that, that, had to be, that, that just had to go away or else we were never, ever going to be able to fully succeed. So I worked in the restaurant for three weeks straight and it was uh, just pure, pure joy for me. Um, one, because I just love, love being in the restaurant for, for anybody who's out there. If you've never done it before, there's a rush. It's a drug, the adrenaline that comes through the tickets on the line, the pre-shift, the pre-meal, getting ready for it, doing the ordering, getting the preparation done, watching your staff behind a bar, get set up for a perfect night of service. All of these things are things that I thrive on. I love to watch it happen. I open restaurants in five days. Okay. We train our staff as fast as possible. We do intensive training with them. We work with them on the mise en place, an organization that happens. And for me, after, I guess it was about my three weeks, two and a half weeks of being in there, 
and I was getting ready to leave again. I had to go and I had another appearance and I had a couple of other things that I was going to do. And I had to, uh, I, I stood back and I just kind of watched the business. So I took off on a Thursday night and I had gone out and a review came through and it was a one-star review and it was about how bad the service was and that there were some issues with the food. So I, I kind of let it go at that point. And then about two hours later, I had another review that came back through. And I realized at that point that it was just not going to, I just, I cannot be in the business every single day to operate. I didn't have anybody really truly in place that uh, was going to be able to execute it at that point with my name on it to my level of standards that I hold true, um, that I really truly firmly, firmly believe in. And if you don't firmly believe in your standards, in your mission statement and in your core values of what you're going to run for a business, then shut the goddamn doors. Because if you don't believe in it, then how do you expect your staff to believe in it? You have to be a proving ground for everything that you believe in. This is not a world of do as I say, not as I do. Okay. For me, every single transaction needs to have a card. I need to have a receipt in front of the guest sitting at the bar. The guest knows where they are. There's no reason for that. This is a day and age of simplicity. Okay. Uh, get to the guests fast so that they can pay and get out of the restaurant, get the food to them in eight and 14 minutes. It's just that simple. And unfortunately, a lot of those standards had gone by the wayside just because I was not there. And my managers that were in the restaurant at that point were inundated with staffing and trying to find people and flux of all the other stuff. And so what it came down to is that I had to, uh, just kind of, I had to leave, you know, it's not fair to the staff inside of the restaurant. For me to have to adhere, have them adhere to standards when I'm not there, especially for a flagship restaurant, when I'm not there to operate it on a daily basis. So with that being said, I, uh, I left and uh, I have uh, really, you know, I've, I've, it's been a lot of conversation in my head about what, what was going to happen and where I was going to go. And I mean, not that I had to worry about going anywhere. I mean, I've, I have a nice business um, and I will open another restaurant again. Um, and probably pretty soon, but it's going to be a different concept. And for me, this was a great opportunity to work with my partners who also happen to be very good friends of mine, um, and to get involved in something that was new in Philadelphia. And unfortunately, look, it didn't work. I don't see it as a failure because the fact that, you know, I, I've, uh, there was a great thing that I once saw when I was down in Fort Myers, I was with some friends down there and we had gone to the Edison Ford estate, which is really wild if you get a chance to get down there. There's a, there, was a, there was a writing on the wall that I have a really bad, horrible picture of, but it said, I've never failed. I've only found 10,000 ways to not do it. Okay. So think about it. I've never failed. I've just found a whole bunch of ways to not do that. And that is kind of the way that it works. So, so for me, I found a bunch of ways to not do something within the restaurant. And I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty cool with that. I'm okay with that. I have fun with that. So. I have a group of, uh, of clients around the country that I, I really was starting to neglect because of the fact that I was so inundated with the restaurant. And when I was in the restaurant, I was trying to be as present as I possibly could in the restaurant without being on my phone all the time or being on a laptop or trying to run my other businesses. And, um, you know, my assistant was going through some stuff. So we had to kind of, you know, part ways on that end as well. I made a tremendous amount of changes in the last three weeks that eliminated a lot of drama out of my life. And, and I'm a firm believer in getting rid of drama. I don't have time for it. I can't deal with it. I have, you know, look, I, I have two, I have a 13 year old and a 16 year old daughter. You don't think I have drama? Yeah, we, we really don't have a lot of drama, but they're 13 and 16 year old girls. You know, they want to make sure that, that 
that they, their school bags are, are ready or purchased or, you know, rather than, are we going to make it to the restaurant today? Are we going to make it, maybe go to dinner tonight because if dad's at the restaurant. So blah, 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 blah. That's enough of all that stuff. So that's my big news for this week is that um, I left Flying Fish, uh, cashed out, um, still own a portion of it, and that's all cool and good. And, and I know that they're going to succeed with whatever it is that they do. But for me, it was just a time for me to move on and uh, go and do something that, you know, kind of works for me a little bit. All right. So that's how I feel about that. If you guys have any questions or concerns about that, please feel free. Send me an email. Hey, I'm cool with that as well. Chef Brian Duffy at gmail.com. Go right ahead. Send it along. If you guys want to find me, I'm really easy. I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram as Chef Brian Duff. Um, I'm on Snapchat too. Not that I really take a look at Snapchat, but I go on there every now and then. Uh, I'm also on Tumblr. I don't know what the hell Tumblr is, but I signed up for it. So definitely go and check that out. So uh, that's how I feel about all that stuff. Okay. So I'm going to leave you guys with that right now. I want to uh, get into a couple of other things um, that we absolutely need to discuss. Um, We have to discuss uh, this week's guest. Okay. So uh, this week's guest uh, is a gentleman that I met in May, I think it was, or June during the draft in Philadelphia. Um, young kid, really nice guy, uh, a promoter that I was working with, um, had asked me to come along to an event. So I went to the event, went in, I saw a bunch of friends of mine, Jen Frederick from Philadelphia and Jen Sherlock, who runs uh, Jenna communications, great PR firm in Philadelphia. Um, Jen friend, she's a, a, a good friend of mine. Like I said, from Fox, I do a lot of segments with her and she's a neighbor and we have fun and every now and then we get drunk and like, you know, Radnor hunt races or whatever. Um, so I walk in, I go upstairs to this event and Don <clears throat> brings me, a, you know, brings this guy over to me and he says, Hey, do you know, uh, you know, Brian? And the guy kind of looked at me and, you know, young, good looking African-American kid. He kind of looked at me and said, Hey, you look familiar. And, and my buddy Don looks at him and says, you know him, he's from Bar Rescue. And the guy literally like shot, stopped dead cold. He's like, get the fuck out of here. Dude, I fucking love you. And blah, 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 blah. Just a great, really, really cool guy. And I was more interested in meeting him because this guy's a golden glove winner. Okay. So as we had our brief conversation and then there was a little bit of a conversation, you know, through an Instagram when we took a picture and we shared pictures and all that stuff, but it was just kind of a cool thing. And there's people that you meet in your life that you like and that you just kind of connect with and you feel that connection and you really want to move forward with that connection. And that's how I felt about this guy. So, so as I started to do a little bit of research on him, I started to find out just a tremendous amount that I, I, I never really knew. I mean, if you think about the people that we come across. And when you uh, start to uh, to engage with them, you find out more about them. And so I really enjoyed talking to this guy and I wanted to kind of find out a little bit more about him. So I did a really quick Google search on him as we all do in this day and age. And uh, this guy's name is The Gift. Okay. So it's Cordell Booker, um, also known as The Gift. And he's going to explain why in a little bit about why his name is The Gift. Uh, he's from Stanford, Connecticut. He's got a 6-0 and record with three KOs, okay? And I believe right now he may be in his seventh one. He's getting ready to fight again. He's coming up in a little bit. Guy's 5'9". He's got a 70-inch reach, okay? And he was born in 1991. He's a Southpaw, which is really kind of cool in his own way. He's got seven wins. I apologize. Seven. Four of them are by KO, okay? So that's what I think is really kind of cool. So I'm going to read this off to you guys just really fast. I'm going to try to do it as fast as possible. But here's what happened. Despite a late start in the sport, Booker quickly rose to become one of the most accomplished amateurs in his weight class. Over the last several years, his accolades include, ready for this? 2001 Most Outstanding Novice, 2001 Golden Champion, 2012 Elite Heat Champion, 2012 Adidas 
2012, Adidas National PAL champion. 2012 and 13, Pure Breed champion. 2012, 13, and 14, New York Boxing champion at 165. 2013 and 14, New York Metro champion, 165. 2013, Northeast, Northeast Regional champion. 2013, USA Elite Men's Bronze Medalist. 2014, USA Elite Men's Silver Medalist. This guy's growing as we go. You catching this? 2015, Fairfield County Sports Person of the Year. 2015, Connecticut Boxing Hall of Fame Amateur Boxer of the Year. 2015, Sugar Ray Robinson, Most Outstanding Boxer. 2015, Golden Glove winner. 2015, Elite National Champion. 2016, this guy makes it to the Olympic Boxing Trials. I can't tell you how proud I am of him because I just think he's an awesome guy. I hope you guys enjoy this interview. I really hope you guys uh, check this out. And I, I just I hope you guys have the same uh, kind of love and admiration that I now do for this guy. Cordell Booker is a rock star in my mind, and he's only going up from this point forward. And here we go. Everybody do me a favor. Get it ready to go. Turn it down because you guys know how I like to curse. Don't let your children listen to this. Put headphones on. Put an iPad in front of them with like Caillou on it. By the way, if anybody lets their kids watch Caillou, I may beat you up. Okay, so that's what I feel. Go listen to Cordell Booker. Everybody, it's Duffified Live, Cordell Booker. So I'm just going to kind of give a little bit of a, an idea to everybody out there what's going on. So uh, back in uh, June, I believe, when was the draft? You remember? The draft, uh, that was, was, was it, it June? June? I think it was June. No, yeah, it was, it that was, was like maybe May, it was dude. Earlier than, yeah, I was say maybe it was a little bit <clears throat> earlier than that. Yeah, because it wasn't quite as hot as shit as it is right now. <laughs> yeah. I uh, think it was me. So I, uh, uh, a mutual friend of ours had introduced me to Cordell while we were at uh, a draft party for the draft that was going on in Philly. And uh, I thought it was pretty awesome, man. I was stoked to meet you. No, I was I was, I was, was stoked to meet you because I <laughs> always see you on um, Bar Rescue. And I was like, shoot, what? No way. <laughs> I didn't even yell at you and tell you to not touch the burger, man. It was perfect. <laughs> that was cool, man. That was great. <laughs> so do me a favor for everybody, for anybody who doesn't know you. Why don't you give us a little bit of a, give us a background about what, what you do and who you are, man. Uh, I'm Cordell Booker. Um, I'm a professional boxer. I uh, have been boxing for about eight years. I've won the national championship. I fought for USA. Um as an amateur, uh, I won the New York Daily News Golden Gloves, one of the most prestigious Golden Gloves, and um, actually the the most prestigious in boxing, um, amateur boxing. So uh, you know, I, I've done quite a bit in uh, boxing, and I also was uh, going to represent our country in the Olympics, but I just fell short in the Olympic trials by one point. Oh man, you got a lot of shit ahead of that though. So Olympics will come. <laughs> You're still young, man. How old are you now? 23? I'm 26. I'm 26. 26. That's right. That's right. And so, so what are you doing now? I mean, you're, where was the, so first off, what got you into boxing? Uh, honestly, I was just getting into a lot of fights growing up. Um, I've been literally fighting my whole life. Uh, first bike I ever got, um, I was living in Bridgeport. My mom gave me the bike. Uh, kid wanted the bike. He was about probably five or six years older than me. And he tried to steal my bike. And I wasn't having it. You know, I was scared, but I fought for it. And then, I don't know, like, it was something in me that day. I was like, man, I ain't never giving up shit. <laughs> I'm not giving up anything. So <laughs> from then, I just fought for everything. I had like a like a chip on my shoulder. Right. 
And so I'm going to assume just pretty straightforward that you beat his ass. Yeah, yeah, I, I beat him up. Uh, he, t- he tried to take my bike. I was, I wasn't having it. I beat him up, and then my mom was like, "I came home. I had a little mark on my face," and she was like, "What happened?" I said, "God tried to steal my bike, so I had to beat him up." <laughs> <laughs> and what's the what's the lesson from mom at that point? My mom, honestly, she was like, "You can't go outside anymore." I told you to be inside before the street lights. That would have never happened if your ass was inside. There you go. It's still, <laughs> even though you saved the bike and you beat the kid's ass, you made a name for yourself in the neighborhood. Mom still humbled you. <laughs> yeah. She like, she like, yeah, dumbass. If you was inside before the street lights come on, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> Dude, you know what's a riot? My mother is uh, my mother is a friend of mine on Facebook. And, uh, and we share, I don't know, like a thousand friends or something. And uh, it's pretty funny because I'll, you know, I'll post something of me being on TV or me doing something really cool. And my mother will totally chime in with like, uh, you know, uh, don't forget, I'm the one who taught you how to cook. Or if I do like a live video and I don't have a seatbelt on, she's like in the live video sending messages like, put your seatbelt on. It's illegal to drive. You have to stay alive. Like. She still just totally puts me in my place, man. It's awesome. Yeah, that's that's my mom too. Man. I guess that's what they're for, right? That's dude. Somebody's got to keep you humble. It's that simple. I can't. I never got these mothers who uh, who coddle uh, their kids all the way through, and and because they end up just being bitches, you know. And it's the <laughs> that's truth. A fact. I mean, look at the kids now. Do you have any kids? No, I don't have any. Kids. Okay. So, I mean, being a parent now, some of the stuff that I see is just crazy. I mean, look, my, my girls are spoiled in, in a very odd way. You know, my girls really work very hard for whatever it is they have. My daughter's getting ready to buy a car. She's got $350 in the bank, and I'm matching that $350. I'm not buying her her car. You know, right. I mean, there's certain things. They're kind of spoiled in one way, but they're totally, you know, uh, uh, responsible in the other way. But I'll tell you, there's a, there's a big difference between kids now and the way that, I mean, you're, you're, you're a lot younger than me. You're 20 years younger than me. But... You know, I mean, you grew up, your mom was tough on you, which is why you're a good dude now. Right. Correct. It, it really is. I mean, my mom, my mom really did. Uh, she structured a lot of everything that went on with me. Yeah, that we put our we put our mothers through a shit ton of stuff, man. Yeah, my mom, uh, through, <laughs> through all the stuff that I've been through, I mean, like being arrested a bunch of times yeah. growing up and just. And how, I'm, man, how is, I'm just thankful. Yeah. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Look, I, look, I wasn't an angel when I was growing up, man. Trust me, I was not an angel. Okay. I, I made, believe I, I, made, I made my own mistakes, and uh, I just happened to do a lot of them before I turned, you know, before I turned 18 or before I kind of became, you know, I, I, was, I wasn't a jackass. I still had that grounding <laughs> from my parents. So, so what was your, I mean, what was your trouble? What was, what, did, what were you doing that you got in trouble? Um, Besides well, fighting. Uh, I mean, my first, oh, uh, outside of fighting, well, uh, drugs, I had drug charges and, um, I had, I had a gun charge. Um, I got a drug, real big gun and drug charge when I was 18 years old. And that was, that was the last time, you know, that was, that was it for me. You know, I was just like, you know, going to court and seeing my mom breaking down every time they told me, you know, I had a mandatory 13, um, there was, that's what they're saying from each charge. You know, obviously, they don't stick you with every charge. Right, sure. But when they're, re- you know, when they're reading that off the first time in your arraignment, you know, it gets you gets you thinking. You're like, wow, like, oh, holy shit, this is serious. Yeah. <laughs> so my mom, um, you know, my mom bonded me out, and she was just, I mean, she broke down. I'm um, sure. 
And that was it for me. I was just like, you know, I just I just begged God, you know, praying just like, man, if I could get out of this, I'll just, I just I just don't want my mom to have to go through this. Like, I really felt like my mom was going to die if I went to jail. Like, she was going to have a stressful, like, like, a, like an anxiety attack, you know. She was having them in front of me. Sure. So I was like, man, I can't deal with if I could, if they tell me I got to go away for 10, 8, something crazy like that. She'll probably die. I really felt that way. And I was just begging God to just please give me another chance. That way, you know, I could I could make make it right with my mom. Right. That's a tough that's a tough world to be in, man. You know, I mean, when when, it, when all the responsibility and everything you've had over the last 18 years falls in, and, and it's your mother, you look back and you see that person who supported you, who, you know, you're a jackass because you were outside past dark. I told you <laughs> to be in. I told you to be in before the lights went out. You know, yeah, I mean, that's exactly. a, that's a tough world, man. Look, I, like I said, I made some mistakes when I was a kid and I remember being in court and I remember, uh, you know, I mean, we just did stupid shit. You know, we did stupid shit as kids. And <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I wasn't in a situation with you with a gun charge and a drug charge. But, you know, I mean, my buddy stole a car, man, and I was in the car. So and, and you ready for this shit? Here's the best part of it. The girl that he was dating didn't like me. So she called the police and told them that I did it. It was awesome. Oh, yeah, wow. I know. That's OK. I know who she oh is. My God. I know who she is. I know where she lives. I know all the good stuff. Every now and then I'll send yeah. a, a, a truck of rocks to her driveway or something. But uh, um, Every Christmas is sort of some cold. <laughs> exactly. With the word bitch written right on the front of it. Jesus. Oh, my God. That's funny. I remember. Uh, yeah, that was a long world. But but yeah, I remember that, looking back and, and my parents and that was a big thing. You know, I mean, I was like, man, what am I like? How, how stupid do I have to be to get involved in this situation? And we got off and everything was cool and, and all of that. But I will never forget that kind of world looking back and seeing that. You know, that's a tough thing to do, man. It is. Uh, I mean, I try to avoid. I don't I hate the courthouse. I, I'm avoiding it at all costs. I freaking <laughs> I got a ticket freaking two weeks ago. A freaking seatbelt, and I had it on, but the guy just the cop got mad that I like he almost hit me with his car. So I like, like, I looked at him and rolled down my window, like, yo, come on, oh, no. give me a seatbelt ticket. So I went to the you know, police station, told him what happened. They were like, oh, we'll handle it. I was like, because I just don't want to be in court, sure, having a you know, and he was like, I could totally understand. The lieutenant was like, Cordell, I understand your problem. I know what you've been through. I'll handle it. <laughs> I got this I covered, like, Thank man. you. I do not want to go in the courthouse. I don't want to see what it looks like anymore. Yeah. I'm sure you guys updated it, but I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> My picture's off the wall. We're good. We're good. I got this now. <laughs> I have to thank my sponsor again. I've got to definitely have a conversation about Nogginware. You guys know how I feel about Nogginware. They are super awesome with all the hats that they do. Get over there right now to Nogginware.com. Use the code Chef Brideff. Get 10% off your hats. Every single package is one freely shipped. They don't charge you for shipping. Number two, every package gets a really cool gift on the inside of it. Check it out. It's going to make you a little bit smarter. Have some fun with it. Let me take you take pictures of it when you go and get it. Three options. You can buy a hat. They're like 25 bucks. It's pretty standard, pretty great price for a hat with free shipping. That's awesome. Sign up for their subscription plan. Subscription plan works out just as easily. You go in, you sign up, they send you a hat every month. They do a three and six month option as well. You put my code in, you get 10% off. Done. Nothing said. It's that simple. Scott and the boys at Nogginware.com are going to take care of you. So what is your, I mean, so so now, I mean, how hard is that? I mean, this has got to be a weird thing. This is an odd question. So you're 26. You've been boxing for eight years. 
I mean, you're you're good at what you do, man. I mean, it's it's shown in in your fights. I mean, you're six and are you six and zero? Oh? How far? What do you where are you now? I'm I'm seven and zero oh now. I just had a fight two weeks ago. So and I'm seven and zero, oh, four knockouts. Nice. Uh, so you knocked the guy out two weeks ago. Yep, knocked him out second round. Dude, I have so much to dive into with that stuff alone. But here here's here's where my question comes into play. So for the last eight years, I mean, you're you're you're, you're talented with what you do. How do you? Uh, do you find that people kind of antagonize you a little bit or because, I mean, you know, you go out, you might go into a bar. There's a tough guy in there. Hey, that's Cordell Booker over there. And, you know, next thing you know, guys like I can beat his ass. I mean, is that I know that's a pretty direct situation, but do you, do you ever find that guys are just like tough guys? Oh, it happens to me. It happens, you know, because what happens is people get drunk. That's the problem. Right. When they get the liquor in them, then they start acting crazy and i i don't drink and i don't smoke so i mean i've been high before but right. i've never been like i've been drunk one time in my life so i don't i've never been a big drinker or a smoker ever um not just because you know boxing or you know i just i've never been like i never cared for it right. but anyway so yeah that happens guy i mean there's only been one time where i've actually had to like physically stop somebody from doing something to me Really, and there was this guy. He's like, he, he's going off, you know. He's got his girlfriend with him. He's like, yeah, I fuck you up, and I'm like, dude, listen, yeah. I don't <laughs> want a problem, like, you know. Like you, you can't fuck me up, you right? Know? But I don't want to prove that you can't. So he's like, no, 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 come on. So I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm leaving. I actually leave the bar. He comes outside. There's a ton of people outside. So now he's like more riled up. He's like, oh, I'll fuck you up. So he swings over, like, you know, toward me. I duck under the, the hook, and I'm like, yo, listen, I'm going to hit you, wow. if you swing, if you swing again. I'm going to hit you. Right. He's like, he's like, come on, I'll fuck you up. He swings again. Now, this time, I don't even duck. I just punch him in the stomach. <laughs> that, well, there, <laughs> I mean, there you go. So he falls in his, you know, he takes a knee, and I'm like, yo, <laughs> listen, dude, I didn't, I didn't want to do that to you. It's, but you can't do that. And he was like, yo, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. And I'm like, yo, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure a punch from you in the stomach is a lot different from than a, like a punch from me in the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so when when you're I mean, and what's going through your brain that whole time? Like, I hope this asshole doesn't throw a swing at me. Or are you thinking I got to get out of this situation as fast as possible? Yeah, that was the whole thing. I was like, yo, I just want to get away. Yeah. Because I I didn't want to I didn't want to risk like going getting in trouble you know like I told you I don't want to be in court and all that but I I was like at the end of the day I'm still a man <laughs> you know of course oh no so absolutely it's only, dude it's only so far that I'm gonna let somebody keep you know like Jesus couldn't keep turning his cheeks like yeah you're right <laughs> turn the other cheek so it only like, happens so you only have so many cheeks yeah it's like I can't just keep saying dude stop 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 right. And then, so where, where's, I mean, what, what was the point? What was your, how did you start boxing? I mean, other than when, you know, I mean, years ago when your mom gave you the bike and all that stuff, what got it to a point that it was a, a, a path, I guess. Uh, I would say, I would say right when I got arrested, even though there was a little attention, um, to boxing that I craved before that, I, you know, like I read a book in middle school, I can't remember the name of it, um, about boxing and it was kind of intriguing to me. Um, and I would box outside on the street with my friends. So it was a little bit. And then I was playing basketball. So maybe like 11th grade, 12th grade, I went to a kickboxing gym. 
Um, I couldn't deal with the kicking. I didn't like the bare feet touching me and stuff like that. Right. So I was like, yeah, this is not for me. I quit. I, I went there for like a week. Um, then I said, you know what? When I, when I finish high school, I'm going to go box. Hmm. But then I was still doing the drug thing and, and running around with my friends doing stupid stuff. Um, and then finally, when I got arrested, I was like, well, shit, I have absolutely nothing to do. Right. <laughs> you know, I can't do anything that I was doing before. So I just got a job. I was working at Walgreens and I would use the money that I made from Walgreens to pay for the gym. Um, and I honestly couldn't. I only paid for two months at the gym. And I told Ahmad, my coach, I was like, yo, I can't pay for this gym. I, I don't have enough money to work at Walgreens, get paid eight twenty five, and support right. myself and pay for the gym. Let me ask you, know, you a question. I, how much how much is a, does a boxing gym cost? At that time, the gym cost. The gym membership was like 60 bucks, which is big. Yeah, it was big for me. I didn't have it. Well, but I mean, even I mean, look at Planet Fitness. It's not a boxing gym. You look at like a Planet yeah. Fitness. It's 10 bucks. and They give you a fucking pizza on a Monday. That's that's right. So, yeah, right. I mean, so now you're going into a very dedicated, specific gym. And is this a, is this a boxing gym that is designed for training or is this a boxing gym that, you know, that that any average Joe can go to the gym? Well, he he, he yeah, he had it for both. It was he opens it up to, you know, he does his private training. Right. He trains fighters and, um, you know, just the average, you know, average every day just wants to get a workout in. He has that, too. So, I mean, it's all levels, he, but he mainly had more um, clients in there. So I think that's why he, you know, it, it didn't he didn't lose anything by having me there. Right. And then I also worked with the, the youth program a lot. Oh, cool. There you go. So now, for for those for anybody who's out there who who, who doesn't know, you, you have a video that's out that actually Don, a buddy of ours, Don Poiva, sent to us. Is that Poiva? Is that how I say his last name? Uh, Povia. Povia. I see. I get that I and that V mixed up. Okay. So there's a video that was done about you. It's called the Boxer. Yep. What? Where? So okay. how did how did that come to? Oh, uh, the the Boxer. It's it's funny. I, I believe when Craig um, Craig is the person who shot it. Um, I've known Craig for about, jeez, oh, I don't even know. Maybe since I started boxing, honestly. Right. So probably eight years, probably seven years, maybe. Um, so Craig, he came into the gym. Um, I think he was trying to shoot a commercial, and he just asked me some questions. But he asked me some questions that were kind of deep, you know. So I, I answered him. I just told him the truth, you know. And, and, and I started to cry, you know, because I was thinking about my mom, things like that. Um, and he was like, Craig, uh, Craig said to me, Craig said to me, you have an interesting story that I want to, I want to learn about. And I was just looking at him like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Why does this guy want to have me on his show? <laughs> so, so he's like, I, I, I'm going to dig deep more. I'm like, Craig, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Get away. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yo, I'm going to come out to one of your fights. I want to shoot one of your fights. I'm like, all right, yeah, let's do it. So he comes to one of my fights. He's like, yo, I something about you, Cordell. I'm going to learn it. So he just kept digging, digging, digging. And I, don't, I it started off where he just wanted a commercial from the gym. And he just, I don't, he built it into this short documentary film um, of my life. You know, he, yeah. he learned so much about me. He was like, yo, I want, like, he followed me over maybe a span of a year, maybe longer. Really? 
Yeah, he he was like dedicated to, cause it it wasn't supposed to be like that. He just followed me to one fight, followed me to another fight, followed me to the Olympic trials, and he I mean, he didn't even use the stuff from the Olympic trials. He just was like, yo, your story is more important than you making it to the Olympic trials. Right. And that's, you know, that, I appreciated that, you know, that he, I, that was like therapy for me. Anytime, I can't even watch it because <laughs> I'm like, shit, it, it chokes me up, you know, just knowing what, you know, seeing it in person, what I did to my mom and what I did to certain, you know, when I think about how I grew up and what I did to certain people, it makes me feel bad, you know, and, and that's why I try to just do my best now to just give back to the community that I feel like I was taken from. Right. And that's and so and that is you went to court and that's where the, the judge came into play. How did that I mean, what like here's as I was watching that today and I watched it again this morning. So I watched it on the plane and because Don sent it to me and I was clean. Oddly enough, dude, I was cleaning my email out. And Don sent me the, the the video like last week, and I just had an opportunity to get into it today. And so I'm, it's kind of funny because I'm, I'm a believer in spirituality and all that stuff so that we kind of came together because it's odd that I saw you today and now you're on the show. So right. that, that to me is pretty wild. But but one of the things that, that was talking about was you saying how you were you were facing a potential 13 years and the judge was in there saying he was facing a potential 13 years. The maximum was 13 years for the charges that you had. So you were being told this by attorneys. You're being told this by police. You're being told this by every every person that's out there. And in reality, if your mother didn't put the bond up, you probably would have been in jail. But Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and stayed through. <laughs> and do you feel that you would have stayed through if that wouldn't have happened? Uh, I probably I, I think I would have went to jail for probably. I, I mean, I, I, it's hard to tell. You know, I, right. I don't think I would have did 13. Um, you know, because you know they always try to give you a deal so you could take years. But I would have, I would have seen a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would have seen a lot of time. And if, like the bond, her bonding me out was was um, the best thing that could have happened. And also, these the people in the community um, forcing all the judges to say, "Yo, I can't, I can't." Uh, convict Cordell because it's a conflict of interest because the person that wrote a letter for Cordell is my cousin or the person that wrote a letter for Cordell I grew up with so I'm right. close to them you know it was so many people in the community that came together to write these wow. great things about me that they had to keep passing my court case to another judge so then they got to Judge White and Judge White was the only person who was like alright well you know, somebody has to do something. Sure. You know? Yeah. So, and then Judge White just, I, I couldn't even believe it. He just sent somebody to jail right before he called Dude, me up. When I heard that in the video, I almost fell over, man. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> he, he like missed, I forgot, he like missed the freaking uh, drug appointment. <laughs> and he sent him to jail. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to jail. I'm going to jail today. So, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Jeez. So what is your, what is your, so now you're sitting in the waiting room or you're sitting in the courtroom, you're waiting for your name to be called, your attorney's with you, your family's with you, you've got family supporters there. What, what is, and and by the way, I don't want to just talk about this, but this is something that I think leads up to, I have, I have further questions beyond this, just so you know. So, So what is your, what, I mean, what's your thought process at this point? I mean, 
fuck, dude, you could re- you could realistically go to jail for 13 years. And the weird part about that is you're 18 years old. Correct. You, by the, you know, by the time you get out, dude, I mean, that's a whole different world, man. That's 31 years. What's that? 31? 30? Yeah. Something. That was 32, even, right? Yeah. 30, so like you'd have gotten out when you were 37 years old. So, or is our math so right? Do, do we, wait, do hold we, on. Do we both suck no, at math? 13, 13. Hold on. 13. So you'd be 18, <laughs> 28. 35. 31. No, 31. 31. Oh, wait, this 31. Is, oh, we got to edit this out because that's bad. We look bad, man. Somebody's <laughs> going to beat our I'm ass just because we can't do the math. So... <laughs> So you so you'd have been thirty one years old when you get out of jail, and that that's prime time. I mean, that's like what the fuck is going through your brain? Yeah, I, I literally I got up, so I'm I'm walking, I'm walking to the front, and I'm just like, yeah, I, I kind of already like sitting there. I was like, damn, you know, I'm about to go to jail. I'm just hoping that I don't like that he doesn't give me a lot of years at this point. I'm like, I'm, I'm probably going to jail right now. Right. So I get up there. And I start, I'm trying to hold back the tears and I can't. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, damn. Cause I keep turning back looking at my mom and my mom's already bawling. Sure. So I'm like, oh man, like I'm just like, please don't, don't do it. And I get up there, he reads like he's looking through the packet of of, of letters and he's like, yo, this is a lot of people from the community. He's like, What what have you done in the community that all these people know you? And and in reality, you were—I mean, you—you you were dealing drugs at that point. Yep. Plus, you had a gun on you. What kind? Of, now, what kind of drugs were you dealing? I was just um, marijuana, and you know, I, I dibble with different things, but really, it was just weed. Just weed. And is yeah. and we're gonna we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, so I mean, it was just weed. And and what I mean, if you think about where we are now, fuck, I just can't believe I'm I'm, I'm talking over myself because I can't believe that like it, literally when you were 18 years old, so eight years ago you were going to go to jail for 13 years because of weed and, and a gun. That's fucked up, dude. So go ahead. So go ahead. So now you're standing up there. The judge is saying, I can't believe there's this many people who want to see you succeed. Boom. Yeah. He's, he says that. And then I'll, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, please, please don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he's like, you know what, Cordell, you know, I can't give you a AR ARs, um, accelerated rehabilitation where you would, uh, you know, you 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 can't get in trouble for two years, and then they'll allow you to just you know uh, expunge your record, like it'll just go away. Okay. But the crime that I had was too serious. He's like, it's too serious for that. So he gave me three years probation. He's like, I I'll I'll give you uh, three years probation. I couldn't believe it. I almost no fainted. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god. And I can't even remember whatever I had. Like I had like suspended years over. Like, like if I go, if I do, you know, get in, get arrested or anything, I'd go to jail for a certain amount of time. It didn't even matter what he said. Of course, and I'm like, I'm not going. You're I'm not, not going back. Arrested. That's it. So I don't give a damn what it is. I don't care if you put a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll never be there. Anything after that, I was just like, yes, dude, that's amazing. That's amazing. I was so happy. I couldn't believe it. Now, why, why do you, what, what made all of these, I mean, you were a drug dealer in the community. You had a gun on you. What made it that the community came behind you so much? I mean, you're a good dude just from talking to you. And I, you know, I follow you on your, your, your social media stuff. And we had a good conversation that night. I mean, you're a good guy, man. You're a good dude. But, but other than that, what, what, what do you think it was that all these people came together? 
a little, a little intervention, a little divine world there. Uh, yeah, I, I, I believe they see the same thing that you saw. Um, I think they just, I, what I, what I always felt like is that I was just a product of my environment. Even though people say that, and it's like it may be cliche, I think that the people who wrote me letters, they saw that I really was, you know, like I, I didn't have, um you know, role models to look up to, you know, coming from Bridgeport and then coming down to Stanford. My grandma lived in a village in Stanford. That's like one of the worst neighborhoods right. um, you could have lived in. They had to, they knocked it down um, years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, they knocked it down. Um, and like my role models were drug dealers, but I didn't know that it was wrong. They already can they already formed my mind to believe that the police are the bad guys and they're the good guys, you know? And, and these are the guys that are, they're walking the neighborhood. They got, you know I mean? They've got, they've got the good shoes. They've got the jacket. They've got, exactly. you know I mean? They've got all the shit. I mean, I, dude, I used to work for Ralph Lauren. This is a totally roundabout way, but one of my, one of my customers at, this was when I, uh, Cordell, when I decided I never wanted to work in a restaurant again, I went and worked for Ralph Lauren in the city down in Philadelphia. And I had a guy who used to come in and he was a dealer and he bought all of his guys jackets and they were $900 red leather polo jackets with a yellow uh, polo guy embroidered on the front of it. And, uh, and, and, and what's funny is he bought the jackets one day and the next day they went on sale and I called him (laughs) and I told him and I was like, yo dude, just so you know, your jacket went from 900 to like whatever, 810 or something like that. And he came back in, we gave him the remaining money back. And then the next thing I know, I was like the Ralph Lauren dealer to the dealers. <laughs> I was selling more fucking polo than any human being in that store. And I was like 20 years old. And I was just like, these guys are giving me like two, $300 tips on stuff. It was fucking awesome, dude. I mean, I hate to say it. It was awesome. But, uh, but I mean, there's, Go ahead. <laughs> it's just, it's that, that, it really changes your mind, right? It makes you just like, you're like, oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it you get it so fast. like. And we're so driven by, by, the, by, the, by society and what we should wear and what we should eat and what we should drink and every part of it. So, I, can, I mean, I can imagine as a young kid growing up and you see these guys that are driving a car, that are wearing great shoes, that are, fuck, you know, all decked out. I mean, dude, I wanted a Michael Jackson jacket, man. And I wanted that motherfucker yeah. bad. <sighs> Yes. I, I mean, that was, uh, you know, that's my, those, those were my shoes. If you think about it, when I was a kid growing <laughs> up, you know, and my parents yeah. were working. My father was a teacher. My mother was a nurse. I mean, my parents worked their asses off for what they had. So I can imagine what that must be like, but so, okay. So now you're given this, literally you're given a second chance in front of your mother who, who I, yeah. I did she faint? Cause I, I almost fainted when I heard that. <laughs> so, uh, no, she, I mean, she was crying. She was sure. crying. She was so happy. I mean, she was hugging me like crazy. She was just like, listen, you better go to every, cause I had drug, I had drug program after sure. that. Um, everything. I had a lot of stuff I had to do. She was like, you better go to every single thing. <laughs> you don't miss it. nothing. Yeah. I don't pay for your ass to get out. You're going to do everything. Shit. I was like, listen, you don't even gotta tell me that. So how? Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I got I got kicked out of my mom's house. She kicked me out. So she it wasn't like she could you know wake me up or anything like that to make sure I was. I just had to make sure I was doing these things. So, but she was just tough love. You know, she was like, "Yo, you want to do this? Can't be in this house." 
Yeah. You know, so. That's awesome. But she was, she was still on my ass about going to everything I needed to, though. I'm sure she was. <laughs> so, okay, now here's another question. How much does it cost to get yourself off of a, potent, a potential 30 years or 13 years? What does an attorney cost for that? I was, I was paying, I, I spent literally, I think we spent all together like 25 Fuck. or 20,000, like, like seriously over the, cause I, I went to court for a year and a half. Oh my God. I didn't go, yeah, I didn't just go to court for like, it wasn't like it just bang, bang, play this happened. This was over a year and a half time. Right. So you think about that, you know how these attorneys are. Uh, dude, I got divorced. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> I know. This is like, they, they paint, oh my gosh, this dude was stacking up, you know, stacking up calls, stacking up this, stacking up this time, stacking up, you know, by the hour. So you go see him for 10 minutes, he charging you by the hour. Of course. It's like, come on, dude. Yeah, I don't even I don't know. That's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. So, so now we're 25 grand in. Your mother's driving you to meetings. You're doing every single thing you can. Uh, here, what what is the question? So, did your did you hop in a car with your mother when you left court? Did I? Did I? Yeah, I actually. Well, <clears throat> I I didn't. I hopped in the car with her for a moment, just you know, just to talk to her. But right. then uh, I really went home because uh, I was living with my cousin at this time. Right. So I, my mom was happy. Um, oh no, I wasn't. I was still living. I had to move back to Bridgeport actually. I went back to Bridgeport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the worst part. I was so happy, but then I'm like, yeah, I got to go back to Bridgeport. So I went to Bridgeport um, after that. So, yeah, I talked to her for a little while. I went back to Bridgeport. I lived there for about three months. Then I moved back to Stanford with my cousin. Right. Um, but, yeah, my mom took me out to eat. You know, we celebrated me being getting a second chance at life. And I just told her, like, yo, listen, you ain't got to worry about this. This will never happen again. <laughs> Um, and at some point in my life, I'm going to be able to pay you back. There you go. And, and she, she, uh, was like, you know, it, you know, your payment is if you just do everything right, don't right. do this again. And I was like, nah, I promise you, I'm going to get you all your money back. Good, man. Good. So, all right. So now let's start talking boxing. So just so everybody knows, this is, uh, I'm actually on Wikipedia. I'm pulling, I pulled up your record and all that stuff. In your amateur career, despite a late start in the sport, Booker quickly rose to become one of the most accomplished amateurs in his weight class over the last several years. His accolades include 2011, most outstanding novice, golden champion, 2012, elite heat champion, Adidas national and PAL champion, 2012 and 13, pure breed champion, 13, 12, 13, 14, New York boxing champion at 165, 13, 14, New York metro champion, 13, uh, Northeast region champion, 13, USA elite men's bronze, USA elite silver, 13 to 14, 15, Fairfield County sports person of the year, 2015, Connecticut boxing, Hall of Fame amateur boxer, motherfucker of the year. Look at that. 2015 Sugar Ray Robinson, most outstanding boxer, 15 Golden Glove champion, 15 elite national champion, 16 Olympic boxing trials. Dude, you almost went to jail for 13 years. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, hey, it, was, it fueled my hunger. Yeah, dude, it, it has to. I mean, and every day must be. I mean, I can just imagine that promise to my mother. Like, I'm going to pay you back. Like, it, it, that would be something that's in my brain all the time. Like, I got to make sure that I don't fuck this up, you know? Yeah. So now, so now you're, now you're, I mean, now you're an accomplished boxer. Your professional career, you've got seven knockouts. Uh, I'm sorry, you've got four knockouts. You've got seven wins. Um, what are these? So we've got one, two. So what's the difference between a TKO and a KO? 
Uh, TKO is uh technical knockout. So you beating on a guy so bad that they, they don't go to, they don't go down. But the ref is like, yo, dude, listen, you can't take this. You you you're, you're getting your ass kicked. Right. <laughs> and they, you know, like you you're basically not fighting back, but you're you know you're not going down. They don't want you to just get knocked out. Right. Um, a knockout is when, you know, shot just comes, boom. They can't get up by the ten count, or they go to sleep. Okay. So they can't get to the ten count either. But <laughs> so now <laughs> here's here one of your longest fights was the sixth round, which was undecided. Is that undecided, oh, UD? No, 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 unanimous decision. Unanimous decision. All right, good. Yeah, <laughs> unanimous. All right, so that was uh, a guy named Moshea Alim. So what yeah. was what was with all? I mean, your other fights, you've got. I mean, your your first win was two minutes or second round, second second round, third mm-hmm. fourth round, fourth fourth round, fifth was your first round, sixth was sixth round, and then your seventh was two rounds. So what what was the what was the why did it go six rounds? Um, Moshe Lim was, a was, was tough. Uh, he's, he was actually boxing longer than me. I've heard of him. Um, I think he, I think he just, I think he tried for the Olympics in, uh, I want to say 2012 or 2008, something like that. Right. So, uh, he, he had, um, he had a lot of experience, um, which is why I, I wanted to take that fight. You know, we both agreed on that fight on, on like three days notice. We both did, um. So it wasn't like he had more of an advantage or I had more of an advantage. We both agreed on the fight um, three days, three days before it was time to fight. Right. Um, and I feel like um, I feel like if I would have had a little more time, um, no, nah, actually I don't know. He he just pres- he had a he had a style that he stuck with, you know. Right. And, and me, I'm can I'm not I'm a winner. You know, I'm a winner. If like if I felt like early in the fight, I could have got him out of there. But you know, I was landing good shots in the first round and the second round, and then he made an adjustment, and I had to make a another adjustment to to you know make him miss shots and and land more cleaner shots because I felt like we were too. I felt like we were being too, both being really aggressive, but I wanted to separate who was landing the better punches. So I started moving more instead of standing there, That's trading crazy. punches with him. And um, I was content with just getting the win, getting the victory. I didn't feel like I had the uh, opening to knock him out other than the early rounds. Right. So, but I mean, that's all- he, honestly, he was the best person I fought to date. Wow. Six rounds, a long run. And you had three months, roughly three and a half, three and a half months before your next fight. So how does yeah. that how does that translate into your next fight? Because your next fight, you just I mean, you knocked him out in the second round. That was that was honestly that was in my head purposeful. I was like, yo, listen, I need to I need to get back on um, putting this pressure. Um, let me get a knockout. Um, you know, I really wanted to show that you know I, I have power in my hands. So I always try to look for powerful shots because that's what people want to see they want to see people getting knocked out the fans want to see exciting fights so that's that's what i'm about i want to throw a lot of punches and i want to throw I'm, it's the hurt business <laughs> yeah it's dude you're, you're getting into the ring you know why you're going in there right there, there, there's not a second you know there's no question about why you're in that ring and and so i mean you, you're a good dude man you you got a you got a real nice demeanor to you you're a smart guy i, I first off i never knew there was that much that went into boxing i'll be dead honest with you you know my research <laughs> about it i mean because it's very strategic 
it, yeah. it's a boxing match. I mean, you're very strategic mm-hmm. about what you're doing. And I mean, it, to me, as I look through your record and I see, you know, second round, second round, fourth round, fourth round, four, first round knockout, um, which in reality was a month before, dude. I didn't realize that. You're f- so so your Andre Baker was a month before Moshe Alim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and you're, and I mean, are you? Were you going in? I mean, I, to me, I'd be like, "Fuck that, man!" I knocked my last guy out in the first round. Were you going in super confident? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, honestly, I'm always super confident. I, but I, I honestly knew that this guy was better than Andre Baker, so I, I, I didn't you. even, I, I totally didn't bank on bank on uh, knocking Moshe out. Um, I was prepared to go six rounds, but I did want to end it early. You know, I. I I typically go for the knockout in the second round because I kind of take the first round to figure out, okay, are. what are what are their patterns? Where do they leave their gaps? And then the second round, I try to exploit it immediately. Like, because if they're still thinking about me being slow in the first round, they're not going to be ready for when I surprise, you know, attack them and I go, go hard for the attack. Right. You know, I'll get them used to one pattern, one tempo. And I, I speed up really quick, really quick, going for those um, gaps. Hmm. So now what is your what is your kind of what's in your brain as you're as you're walking out? So you're walking down the aisle, you're getting up to that point, you're about to go into the ropes. Like, what are you thinking about as you're walking down? I mean, everybody's behind you. People are cheering for you, you know, and, and you're mm-hmm. about to go in and you're about to beat the shit out of somebody. So, like, what is your brain? What's going through your brain at that point? Uh, to be honest, uh, all my fights, even my last one, um, I'm even killed. I'm good. I'm just like, this is what I do. This is what I love to do. It's your job. Um, the Moshe Aleem fight, because that was my first TV pro fight, um, I was really emotional. Really? Um, I was real emotional. I, I, I was literally in the back room, and I just had to like, I was like, yo, this your moment, boy. Yeah. <laughs> this your moment. Like, this is what you wanted. I looked at my coach and I told him, I said, they messed up when they put a camera on. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that's awesome. So I just had, I mean, I got to the, I got to the, um, you know, when they let you out to walk to the ring. And I was just like, yo, man, don't shed a tear, man. I'm happiness right now. (laughs) You're going to think you're weak. (laughs) But, yeah, I I had to hold back right there. That was, was, you know, I mean, everything was going through my mind. Like, wow, you you made it here. And you could have been in jail for 13 years, boy. Look what you done done. (laughs) That's awesome, man. That's so cool, dude. So, so what, what's up for you now? I mean, first off, dude, I'm on your website. This is a great website, dude. I don't know who did uh, your website, but holy shit, this is awesome. Uh, that's my man, Don. Don Povia. Did he really? Wow. Yeah, that's Don. Man, that's nice. all work from Don, man. That's my guy. He he really looks out for me. Yeah, he's a good man. I, I'm I'm a big fan of his. Um, yeah, you got yeah. A, a great website, dude. I really like it. Big fan. I appreciate that. Don's gonna appreciate that too. <laughs> if only I could say his name right. Jesus. Um, all right. So what's going on with you now, man? I mean, you, so you just had a fight a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so I just had my fight two weeks ago, and now I'm looking. Um, I'm looking to get back on TV. They're telling me I'll, I'll be back on TV. Um, hopefully in September. Um, I'm looking to be back. I don't know if I'm going to be on bounce again, but I'm going to be on something. So I can't wait for that. Yeah. 
Uh, because when when the cameras when the bright lights are on, that's when I come alive. It's a different <laughs> world, man. It's fun. I, trust me. I, I mean, I've done it for a long time, and I, I love I love getting out there. But but what I do and what you two do do are two totally different things, man. You, you, what, what what I do, you know, I mean, is a totally different thing than what you do. So more, more power to you when you get out there, because because I, I know the feeling of that light. I know what happens when that light goes on. Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> I think is for anybody, you know, I don't care what you do. If you some people just can't perform when the lights are on. Some people yeah. can, you know, whether it's, you know, playing basketball, whether it's reporting news. Yeah. Uh, boxing. Some people are made for the camera and some people aren't. They yeah. just freeze up. You know, I, me, I show out for the camera. I'm going to do, <laughs> I might do a 360 in the <laughs> ring. <laughs> just for the fun of it. Yeah. Uh, so, so what's, uh, so your, uh, your nickname is the gift. Correct. Why That's the what, gift? The gift. Uh, everybody thinks, you know, when they hear the gift, they're probably like, oh, look at this, uh, sarcastic, um, not sarcastic, uh, Cocky. conceited, conceited dude right. right here. Think he the shit. But really, um, the gift came from me when I first, when I first had it, I used to be like the gift and the curse. So I used to always say like, I'm the gift of, you know, being with the kids, being a, you know, being nice, being fun. And then the curse is the guy who gets in the ring, right. you know, who, who's the curse to these other boxers. But then I just said, you know, well, let me drop the curse, man. There's nothing cursed about me. You know, I, I, I'm a guy who got a second chance at life. Um, man, I'm gifted. God gave me a gift and uh, of life. And God gave me this gift to connect with kids and children, you know, because I was a child who was who didn't have positive role models, right? So then I feel like God put me on this path so I could become a role model for the kids who didn't have one. So kids who were in my predicament, I can be a role model to them. So the gift to me is, yeah, I'm a boxer, but that's just the gift of having a platform to connect to other kids. Kids don't want to hear teachers say, hey, stay in school. Yeah. But if I say, you know, Cordell, the gift says, Stay hey, kids, stay in school. Take them like, hey, the gift says stay in school. That's a gift to me. Yeah, I got a, I got a platform that no teacher could touch. <laughs> You're absolutely I can say right. The same dude. thing a teacher says, and and they, I don't care. Every time I say, it, kids will be like, yeah, you're right. I say, I can explain that to a kid, and be like, yeah, it just sounds better from you. Of course, absolutely, <laughs> dude. Yeah, Seriously, nobody wants to listen to a teacher. I don't, man. I didn't like my teacher. Third grade, I remember <laughs> that was it. I was done, man. I hated school. I made it all the way through. But I hit third grade and I was like, I don't know about this shit, man. <laughs> I don't know. Her name was Miss Parentosi. I'll never forget, dude. She was like, she was like six five. She was a big fucking woman. And I was in third grade. You're gonna love this. I was in third grade and I lied and said that I didn't have my cursive book. And uh, and that much, she fucking walked over to my desk. She picked up. Stand up. I stood up. She picked up my desk and turned it upside down. Shaking it like a fucking giant over top of me, like shake. I'm, I'm picturing like people hanging off her arm. It was so fucked up, dude. I hated school from third grade on, man. That was she sound like she sound like the lady from uh from Matilda. 
Ah, <laughs> oh, dude, that's, that's exactly right. Holy shit, you're right, dude. How do you know Matilda? What? I was man, I was a little kid when Matilda came that was out. A great movie, man. That was a great movie. My daughter's ah, oh, dude, with uh, uh, Roald Dahl is his name. Matilda. That, that was it. Yeah, that's the yeah, writer of the original book. It was Danny DeVito and uh, uh, Rhea Perlman were in it, and the daughter, the girl. It was a great movie. Dude. Yeah. I know, you know, I never read the book, but I saw the movie, man. That, that movie is one of the best. That's a classic. It right was. There. It was a great movie. God, this poor. She's like a cute little kid. The parents wanted nothing to do with her. So all she wanted to do was learn. That was a great movie, man. That's, it. That's funny. You brought that up. Um, <laughs> so so where are you now? What's your what's your plan for the next couple of months? What would I mean? When's your next your next fights in September? Where is your fight? Just so we know. Um, honestly, this is how boxing works. I don't really know. Um, I'm I'm. Don't have any real details. You know, I talked to my manager. Um, I really wasn't even supposed to say I'm going to be back on TV. But <laughs> if, if he hears this, sorry, Keith. Yeah, um, sorry, Keith. <laughs> but hopefully, um, I'm, I'm hoping it's September 19th. Okay. That I think that's the date that we're, we're aiming for. Okay. But I, I don't know the network and I don't know... Um, the venue. You know, the venue or anything. But well, uh, September 19th is the date we're aiming for. Okay. You got to make sure that I know because I won't want to go. So I definitely want to see you, man. Yeah, uh, you know, I, definitely. I'm getting you out there, man. I'm going to get you a ticket, too. Yeah, we got to go. Dude, you, you know, we got a big boxing We got a big boxing community down here in Philly, man. Yeah, I already know. I, I went out there. I was, in the, uh, I was in Danny Garcia's gym when he was uh, fighting uh, Guerrero. Oh, nice. Uh, was that last year? Maybe two years ago. Well, now we've got uh, we've got the twenty three hundred arena. Yeah, I, I keep hearing a lot of fights over there from Pelts Boxing. Dude, there's a lot of cool stuff. They do UFC, they do WWE, they do they do a lot of shit over there. It's pretty wild. So, um, but uh, all right, man. So why don't you do this for me? Tell why don't you let everybody know how we can get in touch with you, how we can find you, all the good stuff. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the gif underscore seven. Um, I'm always talking to people on there. You could comment, you could, uh, direct message me if you feel embarrassed, if you want to ask anything. I have people ask me crazy shit all the time. <laughs> Don't feel embarrassed. You know, uh, I, I answer everybody. So you can always contact me on there. Um, my Twitter is quarter, uh, the gift underscore seven. Also, um, not really good on Twitter, but <laughs> <laughs> you could try to get me there. I love Twitter, you man. You can find me on fan, uh, my fan page on Facebook. Twitter is just hard for me, man. It's just a lot talking, a lot going on. I'm like, oh, wait, wait. Yeah, it's like, you got to find too many it people. Yeah, there's too many people on there. There, there, there. There's way too many people on there. So It confuses me. Like when somebody retweets, I'm like, wait, did they say that? Or did I say that? Or did who said that? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. just can't figure it out. <laughs> But you do well, man. I mean, you got stuff up here. You got August third, so you're you're you stay pretty relevant with it. Yeah, with I some try of your to stuff. So always when I whenever I post on Instagram, I try to post on uh, Twitter everything as well. else. Yeah, yeah, pushes everybody right back through. So everybody knows uh, you can check them out. Those are those are real simple. It's the gift underscore seven, and that's the number seven. Um, then you can check them out at Cordell Boxing. That's C H O R D A L E Boxing dot com. Um, dude, thank you so much for, for coming on. I, I really am glad we got to chat. And, uh, if you ever need anything, I'm, I'm here for you, man. No matter what, I'd thank love to, you. I'll feed you before a fight. You tell we're after the fight. <laughs> Fuck yeah. before. I'm not having anything to do with anything before a fight. I will take care of you after and, and whatever you need, man. I got you covered. So yeah, I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. This was, this was fun for me, man. I'm honored to be 
on your show. I really appreciate it. You know, I, I was crazy. I went crazy when they said, it's Seth Ryan Duffy. I said, oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah, dumbass. We got a we got a picture of you. We got a good picture that day as well. So yeah, it was yeah. Sure it was. Did. I gotta get I gotta get back in shape there though, brother. <laughs> I gotta get hey, back in shape. Listen, man, you want to come get the boxing workout anytime? Oh, I'd love to hit somebody. I really would. <laughs> I can put many Definitely. faces on those people. You so, gotta come to one of our events. We got a white collar event in uh, November, I believe, or, or October. I'll yeah. let you know. I, yeah. I'll get I'll get in contact with yeah, you. Keep all that stuff together. You have my number now, so whatever you need, let's uh, let's rock and roll. So, Cordell, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it, dude. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Well, guess what? I told you. I told you so. How cool is that, dude? How cool is that motherfucker? Cordell Booker, I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for your professionalism. I want to thank you for your passion for what it is that you do. And I hope and I know, I know, I'm not even going to hope, I know how much you inspire other people uh, to do things bigger and better. And it all comes down to a mindset, my friend. You put your mind to something and you knew that you were given an opportunity. That judge gave you an opportunity. He gave you a chance. And how did he do that? Because you know what? You may have been selling drugs. You may have been caught with a gun. You may have well been doing some other stuff. But you're not bad to the bone, dude. You're not bad to the core. Okay? You were just surviving. You were getting caught up in the environment and what it was and what was happening. And we talked about it. You just wanted to buy a pair of shoes, man. Little did you know you could buy a car full of shoes. Okay? So, yes, it's something that was intriguing. It was something that was there. But you made a decision at the age of 18, and you were given an opportunity. And you could have taken that opportunity, and you could have fucked it up and been like, screw it, I have a second chance at life. I'm going to go and live it to the fullest. You did. You didn't do it in a negative way. So that's what I'm pretty impressed with. So, Cordell, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. Um, absolutely loved, uh, loved chatting with you. So, um, But, uh, you know, I, don't, I just think it's pretty awesome. So moving forward, let's see what we have here. Um, let's do this. I am going to take off. Okay. That was a nice long interview with Cordell. We had an awesome time. Um, I really want to, uh, kind of see where we are. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I have a great guest lined up for next week. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I'm really excited about this one as well. Um, if you guys have any ideas for guests or any of that, send them to me really simple on Twitter or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. It's Chef Brian Duff on Twitter. On Facebook, it's Chef Brian Duffy. Send me a message, put Duffified Live in it so I know exactly what we're talking about. Got to thank my favorite people that helped this show happen. I've got to talk about Michelle out there in, in uh, uh, Breeze, uh, Breeze uh, Illinois. She does all my websites. She does uh, some branding for me as well. She's an amazing person. Maggie Gagliardi, Mag's Art. Check her stuff out. She does all of our illustrations for everything. She's truly a talented individual, and I just adore her. She was just in Philly this weekend. I landed on Friday night. I flew out Sunday morning. I needed some family time. I needed to sit down and chill out with people that I care about, and I wasn't able to get the chance to see her, and I feel bad about that. But I know that she went to Eastern State Penitentiary. She got some grub in her belly. Stayed at a cool place, and that makes me super happy knowing that people come into Philly and do that. The end of this whole thing, I got to thank my boys down there at RadioInfluence.com. They handle all of the technical work for the podcast. They're amazing. They deal with my late deadlines. They deal with everything, and I love these guys to death. Jerry and Jason, thank you so much. Boys and girls, thanks for paying attention to Duffified Live. I really appreciate it. I love you all. Have an awesome day. Take care of yourselves. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show.
This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out radioinfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.